Hello, Middle-Earth Wanderers. It's been a year since the first episode of The Lore of the Rings was released, and since then I've updated my equipment and learned a few editing tricks. So I've decided to re-record and re-release Episode 1, The Beginning of Middle-Earth. For our new listeners, feel free to start at the beginning. For long-time wanderers, I hope you enjoy again the wonder of Tolkien's mythical creation story for Middle-Earth. Welcome! In the Lore of the Rings podcast, we wander the world of J.R.R. Tolkien by exploring the foundational epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoyed Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Bagovanian, fellow wanderers. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. John Ronald Reuel Tolkien created the masterful epic story of The Lord of the Rings. Set in the ancient past on a mighty continent called Middle-earth, Tolkien intended to create a story that would give life to the languages that he had invented. While he achieved that goal, another endeavor began to take shape, to create a uniquely English mythology. As he explored the edges of mythology, Tolkien shined a light on the true nature of the world and the human experience. And every mythology starts in the beginning with a creation story. But before we get to that, this episode's date is December 19. On this day in Middle-earth, in the year 3020, Samwise returns home to the Shire. And in the real world, year 2001, 20 years ago, the worldwide release of The Fellowship of the Ring. I'm guessing that you're familiar with Tolkien's books The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. That last one is usually split into three books called The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and Return of the King. If you haven't read those books, I hope you've at least seen Peter Jackson's movie adaptations of Tolkien's works. As you've explored Middle-earth, whether through reading or watching, you may have come across certain curiosities, odd bits of lore or tales that aren't fully explained, like who built the Argonoth, those huge statues that the Fellowship encounter, or what was the Kingdom of Numenor, of which Aragorn is the last descendant. How has Elrond lived in three ages of the world, and what does he remember? Tolkien deliberately left those tiny cracks in the story, little windows in the world and history much larger and deeper than the epic adventures of Bilbo, Frodo, Gandalf, and the others. After Tolkien's death, his son, Christopher, attempted the nearly impossible, to fill the historical cracks left in his father's masterpiece. He collected decades of his father's notes and writings, in order to finish and publish a novel-length draft manuscript called The Silmarillion. And that's where we begin today. This podcast will share stories from J.R.R. Tolkien's The Silmarillion, edited by his son and published by Ballantine Books in 1977. I recommend that you read The Silmarillion. If you don't have a copy, use the links in the show notes for this episode to order one from Amazon. I invite you to read along as I analyze each chapter in this and future episodes. But like the elvish script on the ring that Frodo couldn't read, Gandalf would also warn you about reading the Silmarillion, quote, there are few who can. So here are some tips on how to do so. The first time you read it, don't try to remember all the names and plots. 
just get a high-level view of the major narrative pieces. The second time, you will start to connect the narrative pieces, and the characters will make much more sense to you. The third time will be your most enjoyable yet, because the whole book will feel like a great epic tale. The fourth time, you will feel like you are coming home to Middle-earth. And the fifth time you read it, you can make a podcast. In fact, if you've read The Cimmerillion at least five times, shoot me an email, and maybe I'll interview you for a future podcast episode. The first tale in The Cimmerillion is called Ainu Lindale. The Ainu Lindale begins with Eru, also known as the One or Aluvatar. Aluvatar is the god, the creator, of all things that come after. His first creation is an order of powerful spirits, known as the Ainur, or Holy Ones. Iluvatar shares with Ainur a musical theme, and they, being inspired, begin to sing for Iluvatar. Their music grows into a great symphony of melodies and harmonies. But then, one of the Ainur, named Melkor, begins to weave melodies of his own, not of Iluvatar, into the music. Melkor had the greatest gifts of power and knowledge, and that made him impatient and quite arrogant. His desire was to create beings of his own that would worship him. When he starts weaving his own melodies into the music, Iluvatar's great theme becomes discorded, despondent, and disturbed, before petering out altogether. Iluvatar will have none of that, though. He begins a second theme, different from the first, and yet Melkor again creates a, quote, war of sound, worse than before. Not to be dismayed, Iluvatar starts a third theme, and Melkor attempts to throt it. Yet this third theme is, quote, deep and wide and beautiful, but slow and blended, with an immeasurable sorrow from which its beauty chiefly came. Now this third musical theme, I think, is a huge hint to the mournful underpinnings that lay all throughout the Lord of the Rings works. Tolkien certainly was no stranger to sadness and mourning in his life, and yet I think he found a beauty and nobility in sorrow, and he imbued his works with that same sorrowful beauty. Back to the third theme. Melkor's music is, quote, loud, vain, endlessly repeated, with, quote, little harmony, but rather clamorous unison. And even as Melkor attempts to drown Iluvatar's theme, Iluvatar proves the master, as the greatest notes of Melkor's theme become interwoven with Iluvatar's. Then Iluvatar stands triumphant, and with one final chord, the music ends. Iluvatar breaks the silence, and instructs the Ainur to, quote, behold your music. Now the Ainur can see in vision what before they had only heard, a new world. As they watch, the history of the world unfolds before them as a living, growing thing. Iluvatar teaches the Ainur that each of them has had a part in its creation, even Melkor. And as they study in awe the creation of their music, they see things that even the wisest of them couldn't foresee, the coming of the children of Iluvatar. The children of Iluvatar come from his thought only and none of the Ainur had a hand in creating them. The children of Iluvatar are elves, known as the firstborn, and men, known as the followers. Many of the Ainur were filled with love for the children of Iluvatar, and desired to order all things for their good. And Melkor, because he envied their gifts, desired to dominate the elves and men, and to be a master, and to be served. And so these Ainur left the timeless halls of Iluvatar, in order to fashion the world of their music and vision, in preparation for the children of Iluvatar. Those Ainur who came into the world are known as the Valar, the powers of the world. Their fate and power became forever intertwined with the world. But when they came to the world, they were confused. 
What they found was nothing like what they had seen in the vision or heard in the music. Then they understood that they were there to achieve it, to shape the vision into reality. Even so, Melkor coveted the growing world and claimed it for his own kingdom. But the other Valar, led by Manwe, reclaimed it for Iluvatar, and Melkor withdrew from them. So they began to mold the world. Each of the Valar brought unique gifts and so crafted after the portion of Iluvatar's music that lived within them. They strove to prepare the world for the coming of the firstborn. Yet whatever they built, Melkor sought to destroy. Valleys, mountains, seas, Melkor would follow after to undo or corrupt their work. So, in the end, in no place was the vision of the Valar fully formed, but slowly the earth became fashioned. This tale ends as such, quote, Thus was the habitation of the children of Iluvatar established, at last in the deeps of time, and amidst the innumerable stars. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ooh, that's a lot to handle. Just a few more notes here. Manwe is the king of the Valar, and in the mind of Iluvatar, the brother of Melkor. He delights most in the winds, breezes, high places, and all creatures that fly. In fact, one of his gifts to the children of Iluvatar is the eagles, whom he sent to watch over them and bring him news. While Manwe was the chief of the Valar, the one most held in reverence by the elves was his wife, Varda, also known as the Lady of the Stars, or Elbereth. Her province is light, not surprising as it's said that the light of Iluvatar shines in her face. She's so beautiful that no words can describe her, and so wise that she could see through Melkor's deceits and rejected him from the very beginning. Elbereth is mentioned many times in the books and movies. For example, when Frodo and Sam came across elves in the Shire, they were singing a song to Elbereth. You may also remember a scene in the Two Towers book, which is a bit different from the scene in the Return of the King movie, when Sam and Frodo are struggling against Shelob, the giant spider monster. After Frodo has been stabbed in his darkest moment, Sam takes the file of Galadriel and then he says, quote, Ah, Elbereth Githoniel. Now, Sam didn't know about Elbereth or the Valar, but somehow he was inspired, I may speculate, by the Lady of the Stars, to call on her light and vanquish his foe, Shelob. The next mightiest of the Valar is Olmo, Lord of the Waters. He governs over all bodies of water, lakes, rivers, streams, seas, and oceans. And it is said that, quote, In water there lives yet the echo of the music of the Ainur. And many children of Iluvatar, quote, Hearken to the sounds of the sea, yet know not for what they listen. Slightly less in might to Olmo is Aule. Aule is a master craftsman who loved to create and build beautiful works from the gems and precious metals of the earth, and yet he loved most the skill in crafting them, and would give his works freely to all. His wife is Yavanna, who loves trees and plants and all things that grow from the rich earth. 
We'll get to this in another episode, but just a little teaser for now. It is from Aule and Yvonne that Middle-earth is blessed with dwarves and ents. Another Valar is Mondos, keeper of the houses of the dead, doomsman of the Valar. He alone knows all future events, yet pronounces judgment only when Manwe bids. Another Valar is Lorien. Lorien cultivates the fairest gardens on earth, and there many would come for refreshment and for healing from Lorien's wife, Este. The sister of Mandos and Lorien is Niena. Acquainted with grief, she mourns for the world and every wound within it. Her song in the music was a lamentation, and thus the, quote, sound of mourning was woven into the themes of the world before it began. Yet, in her grief, one also learns, quote, pity and endurance of hope. She strengthens the spirits in the care of Mandos and, quote, turns sorrow to wisdom. That's a key theme for the Lord of the Rings. Now, along with the Valar, a lesser class of spirits, not as powerful or wise as the Valar, also came to the world. These are called the Maiar. Let me tell you about some of these. First, Melion. She plays a big role in the upcoming stories, but for now just know that she dwelt for a while in the Garden of Lorien, and Nightingale sang about her wherever she went. She also became a great mentor to someone else you likely know, Galadriel. The wisest of the Maiar was Olorin, and he may already be your favorite character. He also dwelt in Lorien, but he often wandered to the house of Niena, the mourner. From her he learned pity and patience. He loved the elves, and although he didn't appear much when near them, they were filled with fair visions and wisdom in their hearts. He loved the children of Iluvatar and took pity on them. And all who listened to him, quote, awoke from despair and put away the imaginations of darkness. Olorin is a mover and shaker in Middle Earth. When he finally takes mortal form to help elves and men, his name is Gandalf. Now, some final thoughts on the villains, the enemies. We talked about Melkor before. The elves name him Morgoth, the enemy of the world. To some extent, he shared in all the gifts of the other Valar but corrupted them to evil purposes. He desired domination over all creations. In his arrogance, his wisdom degraded to perverted deceit. He descended into darkness and, quote, filled it with fear for all living things. Melkor was so great in power that he was able to persuade many Maiar into his service, including the demons of fire and terror that the elves called Balrogs. You remember the Balrog that contended with Gandalf in Moria? That clash was between two great spirits from the same class, the Maiar. That is why a seemingly old man could stand his ground and eventually defeat a creature made of fire and smoke that was literally the embodiment of fear. You may be familiar with another of the Maiar that Melkor persuaded into his service, Sauron, who became known as the Lord of the Rings. Before he joined Melkor, Sauron was a follower of Aule, the master craftsman. From Aule, Sauron gained great skill in creating beautiful rings, uh, things, I mean. It'll be in the second age that the one ring and the other rings of power will be made. But for now, Sauron had a part in all the evil deeds of Melkor, and was only slightly less evil, because for a time he had served Aule. But he became, quote, a shadow of Morgoth, a ghost of his malice and walked behind him on the same ruinous path down into the void. Well, if you can remember all those names, I'm impressed. 
But now you know that Middle-earth was created by the music of the Ainur as they sang to Iluvatar. The Ainur who came into the world became the Valar, and strove to govern the world for the good of the children of Iluvatar, the elves and men who would come. Helping the Valar are the Maiar, including Melian, Gandalf, and Sauron. Get your adventure boots on, pick out your best walking stick, and pack plenty of Longbottom Leaf, because we are just getting started. Thanks for wandering Middle-earth with me today. My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Raise your hand if this has happened to you today. You're in the middle of work, you're knocking things off the to do list, getting stuff done, and your kid asks you to play. Do you drop everything? Do you ask them to wait a minute? What do you do? If you're like me, you don't always say yes right away. The kid moves on, you get busy, and you forget to circle back around and play. An opportunity to make a memory has been lost, and the dad guilt settles in. Not so anymore. I've developed a simple game that will enable you to take those small moments and have fun. It's called Dad's Adventure Dice Digital Edition. My five-year-old daughter asks me nearly every day, can we do Dad Adventure Dice? What follows are some quick rolls of the dice that lead to a fun activity with an intriguing twist. Within 5 or 10 minutes, we've had a lot of fun, shared a lot of laughter, and made a memory together. Download your own Dad's Adventure Dice today. Visit store.adventures.dad to download yours. That's store.adventure.dad to download Dad's Adventure Dice.